Hello and welcome to History with Jackson. Today we are continuing our English and British monarch series by looking at Edward IV, Henry VI's usurper and successor. As always, we will look at who he was, what his early life was like, his reign, his death, and then bring it all together to make a judgment on whether he was a good king or not. Now, Edward IV is one of my favourite kings, so I'm really looking forward to getting into this episode. But before we do, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and review if you do enjoy these videos in the English and British Monarch series. So let's get into Edward IV. So who was Edward IV? Edward IV was born on 28th of April 1442 in Rouen, France, to Richard, Duke of York and Cecily Neville. He grew to be about six foot four, well built and good looking. He was well educated and taught how to be a very strong swordsman and became a very capable general. To contemporaries in England and quite possibly Europe, Edward looked how they thought a medieval king should look. So what was Edward's early life like? Now, as we just found out, Edward was born in 1442, but he was born into a particularly difficult political situation, not only for England, but also for his family and his father. Now, around this time, England was losing large swathes of land across France. England and Europe were also in the midst of an economic depression called the Great Slump, which would go on to affect Europe politically and economically for the second half of the 1400s. His father was also in a political standoff with Henry VI and his key advisor, the Duke of Somerset, and he was coming in and out of royal favour and offices. It is thought that Edward was raised in the Marcher lands or the Welsh borderlands of his father, who was a key landowner in this region. His education took place in these lands and he was taught how to fight. And he was then gradually introduced to his father's conflict with the Duke of Somerset. Through his role in this conflict, Edward would prove himself as a strong and capable military figure. And because of this, he started to become a key political figure within the conflict between his father and the Duke of Somerset. In 1459, after the defeat of the Earl of Warwick at Ludford Bridge, Edward fled with the Earl of Warwick to Calais, whilst his father fled to Ireland. During this exile, Edward helped the Earl of Warwick rebuild some of the Yorkist forces in Calais. The Yorkist nobles were also attainted by Margaret of Anjou in their self-imposed exile, and Edward lost his title as the Earl of March, or the Earl of some of the border regions with Wales. In the summer of 1460, Edward and the Earl of Warwick and other Yorkist nobles returned to England. Warwick and Edward together captured Canterbury and London. 
and then marched to Northampton and defeated the King's forces at the Battle of Northampton. Here at the Battle of Northampton, Warwick and Edward captured King Henry VI and they brought him back to London. After the arrival of Henry VI in London and the Duke of York's return to London, Richard, Duke of York, Edward's father, decided to claim the throne for himself in front of Parliament. Parliament rejected this claim, but instead came to a compromise. This compromise was called the Act of Accord. The Act of Accord declared that Richard, Duke of York, and his heirs would become Henry VI's heirs. This disinherited Henry VI's son, the Prince Edward. And this move angered Margaret of Anjou. And she sent a series of attacks into England in the later half of 1460. Richard, Duke of York, set off to meet Margaret of Anjou and her Lancastrian forces and waited at Wakefield to wait for reinforcements. Whilst awaiting reinforcements, Margaret of Anjou's forces met Richard, Duke of York. The Duke attempted to escape Margaret of Anjou's forces to let his claim live another day. And he took with him Edward's younger brother, Edmund. Whilst escaping, they were brought down by Lancastrian forces and captured. These Lancastrian forces then beheaded both the Duke of York and his son, Edmund. And they displayed their beheaded heads on the gates of York and placed a paper crown on the head of the Duke of York to show his false claim as king. With Richard, Duke of York, dead, Edward became the figurehead of the Yorkist movement. And he had moved to Wales at this point in time to deal with the Lancastrian threat that Jasper Tudor posed. Edward destroyed Jasper Tudor's forces at the Battle of Mortimer Cross. Whilst the Earl of Warwick was defeated by Lancastrian forces at the Second Battle of St Albans. And at the Second Battle of St Albans, Warwick had lost possession of Henry VI. Edward quickly marched to meet the Earl of Warwick and together they raced Margaret of Anjou to London. Upon London hearing that Edward and the Earl of Warwick were coming into London, they stopped their support and they stopped their providing of resources to Margaret of Anjou's forces. Margaret did not enter London as she wanted to save the city, but the city let in Edward and the Earl of Warwick. In response to Margaret of Anjou and the Lancastrian army's brutality in the later half of 1460, the Yorkists declared Edward their king on the 4th of March 1461. But there was no time to be coronated and Edward had to march to Towson to meet the Lancastrian forces. On the 29th of March 1461, Edward's Yorkist forces met the Lancastrian forces at Towson. Henry VI, Margaret of Anjou and their son 
were staying in safety within the city of York. The Battle of Towton is now regarded as one of the bloodiest battles on English soil and one of the bloodiest battles in English history. Around 2% of the national population at the time took part in this battle. After 10 hours of brutal fighting, the Yorkists managed to push the Lancastrian forces into a dead end. At this dead end, a small stream ran, and the Yorkists slaughtered thousands of Lancastrian soldiers. Amongst them were leading Lancastrian nobles, Lancastrian knights, and hundreds, thousands of Lancastrian peasantry. The stream at the bottom of this dead end ran red with the blood of Lancastrian soldiers. After such a decisive and clear Yorkist victory, Henry, Margaret, Edward and the surviving Lancastrian nobles fled to Scotland to seek the safety of the Scottish King. Edward then marched back to London for his coronation and he was officially coronated as King on the 28th of June 1461. Edward's reign had begun with bloodshed, violence and war. But he decided to begin his personal rule in a conciliatory way. He attempted to win over Lancastrian nobles, to bring them into the fold and begin a new dynasty. And this worked for a time. But there were several Lancastrian nobles who rebelled against or attempted to rebel against Edward. These were Ralph Percy, the Duke of Somerset and the Earl of Oxford. And they were all either punished or defeated for their actions against Edward. The Earl of Warwick in the early part of Edward's reign was seen as the power behind the throne. Contemporaries in Europe even thought of him as the real king of England. Warwick had attempted to arrange a marriage and trade alliance with France, but this fell apart as Edward favoured Burgundy. Warwick even attempted to negotiate a marriage and trade alliance with Burgundy, but this fell apart after Edward's marriage to Elizabeth Woodville. This marriage sent shocks not only through England but also through Europe as Edward had married someone from his own country who wasn't even of royal birth or noble connection. This move also deeply embarrassed Warwick as he'd been seen to be negotiating a marriage alliance on the continent and it had been ripped apart by Edward's own actions. This marriage also undermined Warwick's power as it demonstrated that he was not aware of all of Edward's actions and Elizabeth Woodville's family gained an increased amount of political power which undermined Warwick's own position in the court. In 1465, good news reached Edward and Warwick. 
as Henry VI, who had been wandering around the north of England, had been captured by some of Edward's soldiers. The capturing of Henry was important for Edward, as it meant that he controlled the Lancastrian figurehead. And if he controlled a weak and ineffectual figurehead, it meant that there was no other figure who could be put forward as the figurehead with Henry still alive. As the years went on, Edward and Warwick continued to disagree over international alliances as Edward pursued an alliance with the Burgundians. And this was counter to Warwick's own belief that an alliance with France was more beneficial for England. In 1469, tensions between Warwick and Edward reached their apex and Warwick abandoned Edward. He also convinced Edward's younger brother, George, Duke of Clarence, to follow suit. And they rebelled against Edward. In this rebellion, they were able to capture Edward. And after capturing Edward, they attempted to rule England through Edward. And they failed miserably. They had no royal authority themselves, and it was clear that they had captured Edward. And they were forced to release Edward and allow Edward to rule the country again due to their failure to keep peace and stability. Edward forgave the two men after his release in another conciliatory mood that defined the first part of his reign. However, this reconciliation was ineffective. Warwick and Clarence abandoned Edward again in 1470, but this time they headed to France and they joined up with Margaret of Anjou to support the Lancastrian cause. And in late 1470, they invaded England. Edward knew that he and England were not strong enough to repel an invasion, so he fled to Flanders. He left his pregnant wife and his children in sanctuary in London for their own safety, as he went to Flanders to rebuild his position. Upon reaching London, Warwick did not place himself on the throne. He did not place George, Duke of Clarence, on the throne. He placed Henry VI back on the throne. Historians call this the re-adeption, the restoration of Henry VI's reign, the restoration of the Lancastrian dynasty. And through Henry VI, Warwick and Clarence ruled. Now you'd be forgiven for thinking that the re-adeption of Henry VI spelt the end for Edward IV. But it didn't. And in 1471, Edward returned from Flanders. And he returned in a similar way to how Henry Bolingbroke, Henry IV, returned to England in 1399. Edward landed at Ravenspur in the north of England much like Henry IV did. Edward claimed 
that he was returning to claim the lands of his father, not the throne, as Henry IV did. Edward marched south peacefully, gaining supporters on his way down, much like Henry IV did. With supporters and an army, Edward marched to Coventry and he attempted to tempt Warwick into an open conflict. Warwick did not fall for this bait and Edward continued to march south to London. Whilst this was occurring, Edward's sisters had been writing to George, Duke of Clarence and they convinced him to abandon Warwick and join Edward. And this is exactly what George did. George, Duke of Clarence, abandoned Warwick and joined Edward's cause. Upon reaching London, Edward claimed back the throne. He claimed the city and he met his wife and his newborn son, Prince Edward. In London, Edward reorganised his forces and marched back to Barnet to meet Warwick. At the Battle of Barnet, Edward's forces routed the Lancastrians. Warwick attempted to escape, but Yorkist soldiers chased him down and killed him without even bringing him back to Edward. Warwick's younger brother was also killed at this battle, meaning the Lancastrians had lost two leading nobles, two leading military commanders in the space of one battle. Edward then marched to Tewkesbury to end the Lancastrian threat to his throne. At Tewkesbury, the Lancastrians were led by Prince Edward, the Duke of Somerset and the Earl of Devon. Edward's forces yet again routed the Lancastrians, killing Prince Edward in his first battle and killing the Earl of Devon. Here the Yorkists were able to capture Margaret of Anjou as well and this firmly ended the Lancastrian threat to Edward's throne. The victory at Tewkesbury spelt the end any military threat to Edward. But the figurehead of the Lancastrian movement was still alive and in May 1471 Edward returned to London and mysteriously on the same night that he returned Henry VI died. Now contemporaries were told or believed that Henry had died of melancholy. But upon examination of his skeleton, there was blood matted in his hair and on his skull. It is clear that Henry VI had met a violent end. We do not know who, we do not know how, but it is clear that Henry VI was murdered. The murder or the death of Henry VI, shows that Edward IV had started his second reign 
in a much more serious, much more ruthless tone. And that he was determined to cut any threat to his throne. And he clearly learned his lessons from his first reign. In his second reign, Edward built up the finances of England and was eventually the first king of England to die solvent or die with no debt. He pursued that trade alliance with Burgundy that he so desperately wanted in his first reign. And he and Elizabeth Woodville produced a spare to their heir with the birth of Richard, Duke of York in 1473. In 1475, Edward even started a war with France in an attempt to claim the French throne that the English kings had claimed since Henry V. But, yet again, there was a thorn in the side of Edward. And in this second reign, it was his own brother, George, Duke of Clarence. From 1477 onwards, George, Duke of Clarence, restarted his habit of acting against his brother. After a series of actions, his actions eventually amounted to treason. And in February 1478, Edward had him executed for treason. Edward's relationship with his younger brother, Richard, Duke of Gloucester, was in stark contrast to his relationship with George, Duke of Clarence. Edward trusted Richard, Duke of Gloucester. He trusted him to run the north for him. He trusted him to protect England's border with Scotland. And he trusted him enough to name him as protector should he die before his son Edward had reached maturity, had reached age to take the throne. In 1483, at the age of 40, Edward was no longer the big, strong man that he had been when he came to the throne. He was now a larger man with a love of food. He had a habit of eating until he was full and forcing himself to vomit so that he may eat more. And this habit had made him ill. And the continuation of this habit worsened his condition. At the age of 40 in 1483, Edward passed away leaving his 12-year-old son as his heir. And his heir was Prince Edward. And due to his relationship with Richard, Duke of Gloucester, Richard, Duke of Gloucester, was named as Lord Protector for his son, Prince Edward, or King Edward V. Now, was Edward IV a good king or not? Now, as I've said earlier at the beginning of the video, Edward is perhaps my favourite king in English history. I think he's a fascinating character. He had a fascinating reign. Uh, and I just love learning about the Wars of the Roses. In Edward's first reign, I'd say no. He wasn't a good king. He was weak. He was ineffectual. And he allowed the Earl of Warwick to rule on his behalf. And as I've said for every king who has been usurped, I've said no, they're not a good king. At the end of his first reign, Edward had been usurped. So, no, in his first reign, he was not a good king. After his return in 1471, Edward was a good king. He re-established order. He died solvent. 
So he'd left England in a good position for his heir. He had quashed rebellions. He had also prevented factionalism from emerging within his court. However, Edward was only papering over cracks with his ability to bring people together and his ability to unite people. His death was also a shortcoming. He died at the age of 40 and he died leaving England with a minority government again and that is definitely a shortcoming and a weakness of Edward. But yes, I'd say Edward was a good king. He was a good medieval king. But he was also a good king for the beginning of the Renaissance as he allowed new technologies such as the printing press to flourish within his court. Thank you very much for watching today, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you're enjoying this series. Um, again, just a couple of little books for, for you guys to go away and read if you want to learn more on the topic. So the first is the masterful Dan Jones's The Hollow Crown. This is a truly fantastic book. It's an amazing narrative history of the period and there's so much information about Edward in here. So I really recommend this book. Secondly, as always, if you like a sailing guide, it's Gwyn's Kings and Queens, an indispensable guide to England and her monarchs. I don't think you can get better than this book for a sailing guide. I'd also like to thank my old sixth form history teacher, Mr. Brown, for this episode. He provided us with such a massive folder of, of notes for this topic that I've used from sixth form to university to my channel's research. So that that research formed the bulk of this episode. So thank you to Mr. Brown, thank you to Mr. Jones, and thank you for everyone for watching. I'll see you all next week where we look at Edward V.